Today's gospel is from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said to his disciples, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sharon. You may be seated. Grace to you this morning and peace. If you are thinking about becoming a pastor, and I really do hope that some of you are, let me caution you about one thing. When you start the process of becoming a pastor, your small talk with strangers changes. <laughs> Plane rides, sporting events, your friend's backyard grill out, all of these situations have moments where inevitably you're forced to say what it is you do for work. And what most people do at that point is apologize for having let a curse word drop earlier in the conversation. <laughs> oh, they'll say, I didn't realize I was in the presence of a good man of God. Or they'll say, uh-oh, everybody, watch out. The reverend's got a beer in his hand. Don't worry, though, it's our little secret. I won't tell everybody that you like to sin a little bit. Roll your eyes along with me. <laughs> These strangers are making an assumption about what it means to be part of a church and how that affects how you live your life. And the assumption is this. Coming here, coming to church, makes you better, nicer, more pious, more moral, better mannered, well-behaved. And on the one hand, this assumption is wrong. There isn't a single congregation that you can go to that hasn't been brushed by division or fighting, where people haven't stormed out of the building hurt, never to return. And flipping through any history book will show that the church has had its hands in all sorts of slimy business throughout the ages. The church is far from a perfect place. But on the other hand, this assumption is still wrong. 
This room isn't a magical factory that transforms you into a better person or the best version of yourselves. Being a Christian, it doesn't mean that you suddenly, or even gradually for that matter, lose the ability to quit hurting people you love or judging people without getting to know them, or doubting and despairing of yourself, or making choices that sabotage your health and well-being, or refusing to share with those in need, or letting other people control you. These propensities seem to come baked into our human experience. Each one of us, of course, puts our own personal twist on it, We each have our own unique little cocktail of flashpoints and triggers and wounds that we actively keep from closing and coping mechanisms that we know are unhealthy and rivalries and jealousies and a trail of people we've left high and dry when they need us. The particulars look different for each of us, but all people are broken and fragile, able to hurt and be hurt by others, and the population of the church is nothing more than broken people being broken together. So no, church does not make you a better person, and if you're hoping to find a place that's free from people who are going to disappoint you, you've come to the wrong place. So that's the happy message I came to preach to you this morning on Rally Sunday. (laughs) In all seriousness, I do spend a lot of my time thinking about this. Why should I even ask you to wake up and get dressed and to wake your kids up and get them dressed and to ditch your weekend travel plans and to give us a lot of money if being here doesn't stop us from sinning and failing? Why do we even give this place a chance if we're no different than people anywhere else? Is anything here different from anywhere else? I think Jesus suggests an answer in this morning's gospel. Notice that Jesus does not assume that everything is going to go smoothly among his followers. He does not demand perfection because he knows that failing one another is inevitable. And this, I think, is where we can begin to look at what we do here as unique and surprising. Because we don't get a choice in life about whether or not we're going to hurt someone or be hurt by someone along the way. But we do have a choice with what we do with that hurt. Church might not spare you from drama, but it will give you a wider and richer repertoire of tools to deal with it. And look at the world. We need better tools for dealing with our hurt. Consider for a moment how our society trains us to react when people cause us harm. 
an offense happens, and immediately and non-reflectively, we really, really want to make the person pay for that. And we think that if we punish hard enough, our original hurt is going to go away. And so we let that person's wrongful actions control and define who they are. We let people's offenses stop their stories. Consider how we do criminal justice in this country. We have 5%, under 5% of the world's population, but over 20% of all the world's incarcerated people, making us the biggest jailer in the world. We as a society have found the money to build more prisons, but even after convicts have done their time, we continue to punish them, and they face discrimination in jobs, housing, securing the right to vote. We have let their offenses stop their stories. Or consider how we extend guilt to the flow of people who come into this country. We actually call some people illegals. Their whole identity becomes synonymous with an offense. And with the rescinding of DACA this past week, we've made it clear that we are okay imputing this guilt even on youth who had no real choice in whether or not they came here. We let their offenses stop their stories. Or consider the politics of any school cafeteria. Any kid who is unlucky enough to get booted to the bottom of the pecking order because of their hair or music taste or awkward jokes or whatever it is, are they likely to work their way back up? Or are they destined to remain an outcast, an untouchable, out of relationship? It's so much easier to cast blame and shame on someone else and keep them at arm's length than it is to be in relationship with them even after they've harmed. And so we let people's offenses stop their stories. We do that, but God does not. And that's what makes this place different. In this place, we surround ourselves with the stories of a God who stayed close to the people God had chosen, the wandering Israelites, calling them back into ways of mercy and compassion over and over again, not letting the hurt they caused or the hurt they suffered end their story but beckoning them into new opportunities for life together. Here in this place, we surround ourselves with the stories of Jesus who ate with poor people and outcasts, who listened to women and foreigners, who forgave sinners, restarting all of their stories by restoring them to relationship and community. In this place, we surround ourselves with the cross, where Jesus forgave those who put him there and entered the suffering of all of us 
whose story has been stopped by people's eagerness to blame and shame. And we surround ourselves with Jesus' empty tomb where God raised Jesus from the dead, showing us that not even death can hold back God's power to call forth something new and good out of a broken world bent on pointing fingers and passing around blame. And in these stories and symbols we surround ourselves with here, in the waters at this font, in the bread and wine we take, in the peace we extend one another, that same God comes among us. It only takes two or three of us, but God has promised to be here. And that's what makes this place different. God comes among us as we sing and pray and listen and give, and God comes with overflowing mercy and everlasting promises. And so we center ourselves here in God's outpouring love, a love that is willing to endure the shameful cross and the silent grave, a love that's big enough to be 100% for each one of you and 100% for every other thing in all of creation. And then, centered in that love, we dare to do things differently than the world. We can, as Jesus suggests, stay in relationship with those who have wronged us or those who drive us mad. We can talk it out with those who have harmed us. We can feel free to name where we ourselves have failed and fallen short. We can start imagining a story together that is bigger and grander than the hurts we deal one another. It is God's love for us proclaimed here that allows us to forgive, that allows us to take a chance on each other, imperfect as we are. We're not forgiving people here because we want to please God or we want to be better people. We forgive because we have tasted God's mercy for us. We forgive because we know that God's love story is stronger than the story of our hurts. That just because any, any one given person causes harm now doesn't mean that God's not going to use them in the future. We forgive because Jesus shows up in forgiveness. Jesus doesn't show up in the lives of individuals who cut themselves from relationship because they think they're better or more right than other people. Jesus shows up in the mess of community, especially when a community tries to stay together, even when their imperfections show. Church is not going to make you a better person. It's not going to stop you from getting hurt or hurting others. But I hope it makes you consider that your brokenness and the brokenness of your neighbor are not story stoppers to God, but an invitation to write a new story, a story of love and wonder together. Amen.